Well, hey there. Welcome to the Strong and Sculpted Podcast, the podcast by me, Kim Constable, otherwise known as the Sculpted Vegan, about all things strong and, of course, all things sculpted. Uh, This week, we're going to talk about back pain because I get a lot of questions in my Facebook groups and also on Instagram and, you know, all the places where you guys write to me and send me all your wonderful questions. And one of the commonly asked questions I get is about how to overcome back pain, especially when squatting in the gym. And I wanted to make a podcast about this because it's something that I suffered from for many, well, many years, kind of many months, I suppose, and years, actually, whenever I first started training in the gym. And it is something that I have managed to completely and utterly overcome um, using both my knowledge as a yoga teacher, my experience as a yoga teacher, my experience and knowledge of the human body, and also just years and years and years of practice. So I want to give you the exact strategies today, the way that I overcame my back pain and exactly what you can do to overcome yours, or maybe you don't even have back pain and you just want some helpful hints and tips around squatting um, or how to squat more, how to lift harder, how to lift better in the gym. It's all going to be in this episode today. And of course, you know that I'm just not going to talk about back pain. I'm going to talk about so much more than back pain. And of course, I'm going to interweave it with some really funny stories. And let me tell you, today is going to be a clinker. You are going to laugh your pants off uh, with some of the stories I have for you. So, um, yeah, just to warm you up for what's coming, just wherever you are, you know, you're on a treadmill, you're in the gym, whatever, you may burst out laughing a few times. That's totally okay. Just be prepared for the fact that you may have headphones in and people around you might be going, what is that crazy bitch laughing at? Uh, Yeah, it's going to be today's podcast. So anyway, before we begin, um, don't forget it's the end of May 2020. Don't know when you're listening to this, but now I'm recording at the end of May 2020. We are just about to announce, well, to choose and announce the winner of this month's podcast review special, I don't know what it's called, competition? Yep, because we're called a competition. So um, every month at the start of the month, Courtney, my very beautiful assistant, uh, remember I think years ago they would have those, like, remember Paul Daniels' magic show here in the UK? And here is Debbie, my lovely assistant. So I have Courtney, my lovely assistant. And uh, she of she goes through all of the reviews that people screenshot and send me on Instagram, and she chooses the best one. And she has the best time reading them, and she reads them out to me, and she reads me all of these lovely reviews. And I'm like, oh, I need time I ever feel bad about myself. Not that I happen very often, but anytime I'm ever feeling a wee bit down or a wee bit like, am I doing good things in the world? You know what I do? I go on and I read the podcast reviews because, oh my Lord, people say the loveliest things, not even about me, but just about themselves and what they've learned and how it's changed them. And oh my God, I love reading the reviews. I go on and read them every single month, every single review that's left. I go on and I read through them all. So uh, don't think even if you don't submit your review for uh, the competition that I'm not reading it because I totally am reading it. And I really should start like reading one out every week or something on the podcast. That would be really fun. Anyway, we'll think about that one. But um, leave a review anywhere that you're listening to this. I don't think you can listen to it on Spotify. Don't leave it on the website. Leave it on iTunes or Podbean or Stitcher. Or you guys know the drill. And then, you know, leave me, send me a screenshot on Instagram. If you don't send me the screenshot of your review as a direct message, then you won't be in with a chance of winning because you have to send it to me as a DM. Um, on Instagram, and then we will choose the winner, and you could 
could win a Sculpted Vegan program, any program of your choice, right up to our $1,500 Sculpt and Shred, um, or the brand new eight-week butt camp program, which is releasing on the 11th of June, which is all about sculpting and shredding those glutes. Oh, yes, baby. This is my kick-ass, ha, literally, see what I did there? Kick-ass program for sculpting the most amazing set of cheeks. So, yeah, leave the review, and you, if you ain't in it, you can't win it. Okay, so let's get started with this week's podcast, um, which again is is all about how to eradicate back pain whenever you're squatting or really just how to improve your squat in general, okay? But it's something that I suffered from. So um, first of all, today we're going to talk like a little bit about, well, mostly actually about the transverse abdominus, okay? So many of you have heard about the transverse abdominus. The transverse abdominus is the band of muscles that runs almost like a belt around your, your deep internal muscles around your core, like a belt. It's not the rectus abdominis that you would see down the front, which gives you like a six pack. It's the ones that are internal. And so these muscles are so important for learning how to squat correctly, learning how to do anything correctly, actually. And they're also really important for overcoming back pain. But first of all, like how how did I first become aware of the transverse abdominis, right? I was not always aware of the transverse abdominis muscles. I have to be honest with you. And the reason why I wasn't aware of the transverse abdominis muscles is because I had no reason to be aware of the transverse abdominus muscles. We call them the TVA for short, okay? No no reason to be aware of the TVA, but here's when I first became aware of the TVA. So I started practicing yoga after my second son, Kai, was born. Now, I was a Pilates instructor. Instructor? Sure. I was a Pilates instructor loved Pilates, had been training for many years. And um, my mom had talked me into going and trying Ashtanga yoga. And I fell in love with Ashtanga and started practicing it regularly. So my mom and I would go to yoga practice. Of course, I had like, well, I had three kids at this point. So um, I started, well, I only had two. I finished, uh, I started practicing just after Kai was born. He's now 13. And I continued to practice. And then Maya, I practiced all the way through my pregnancy with Maya. And she then was born 10 years ago. And then after I'd given birth to Maya, I started getting back into yoga. But it was one of these ones where, you know, it was really difficult to go to yoga class in the evening because my husband, like, had to leave him at home with three young kids and he wasn't used to looking after them by himself, bless his heart. And um, I was breastfeeding, so you kind of had to time, you know, feeding and yoga classes. And, you know, she would take a bottle when I wasn't there, which was fine. But so anyway, I went to yoga class with my mom this day. And I guess Maya would have been, uh, let me think, she was born in January and this was definitely in the winter. So it must have been maybe I would say maybe eight to 12 weeks afterwards. So maybe we're, we're talking here kind of March, right? So maybe March, April time. So it wasn't winter, it was coming into spring. And um, but the, the nights the nights weren't really bright yet. That's how I remember. So mom and I went to this yoga class at seven o'clock. Now we had this yoga teacher called Ronnie, okay? Now I met Ronnie the other week, actually. Ronnie would be, I'm sure he would be nearly 80 now, right? And he's still teaching yoga, but he was amazing. And whenever I tell this story in Belfast, people go, oh my God, I know Ronnie. Like he's such an institution, right? Ronnie is like an, an institution yoga teacher. And he loved to talk about, you know, your, your you know, the, the different things you could visualize. And he loved to do a seated meditation at the beginning and at the end. And he really saw yoga as a very spiritual, spiritual practice. Even though he practiced Ashtanga, he really saw it as a very spiritual practice. And so whenever um, we were practicing, you know, he would say, you know, you know, he would like say, okay, you know, sun salutations, you know, five A's, five B's, which is Surya Namaskara A, Surya Namaskara B. Okay. So we would say five A's, five B's. And then he would walk around the class and he, he would do it almost like what's called a Mysore class. So Mysore is M-Y-S-O-R-E. It's where you go to an Ashtanga yoga class and you just practice. You do your own practice. So the teacher doesn't lead the practice. You know the primary series yourself. 
yourself. You would do your own practice. The teacher would come and, um, you know, adjust you or help you with your practice. They just walk around, you know, wherever you are in your sequence. So he would almost do it like a Mysore practice a little bit. And he would say, you know, okay, everyone begin their sun salutations. So this particular day, um, I had decided that rather than doing the traditional Ashtanga practice, I, during my sun salutations, would raise one leg up into the air. So it's called one-legged dog. And then I would, you do this thing where you raise one leg up into the air and then you open your hip. So you kind of keep your hands on the mat and you twist your body, you twist your lower body, your hips slightly sideways. So you stack one hip on top of the other. And then you kind of, um, then you bend your leg at the knee and you dangle it down behind you. It's almost like you're trying to touch your butt with your heel. Okay. So so um, I decided I would do this on one side and then on the other side because it felt so good. So I, uh, you know, did it, you know, swept my arms into the air and placed them on the ground, jumped back into Chaturanga, lowered down, you know, inhaled up, up dog, you know, back into dog head down. And then I, instead of staying in dog head down for five breaths, which is what you do, I swept one leg into the air and I opened my hip and I stretched and it felt so good. And then I put it down. I stretched the other one into the air. I opened my hip and I, and I, and then I set it back down. I stretched back into dog head down and, and my mom was practicing beside me doing her practice and I, and it was so good. And so then I, I, um, and then I, I rocked forward and then I rocked back. And then I jumped to the top of the mat. And as I landed, I went <laughs> like this massive, massive fanny fart. Okay. Now I know in America you guys call like, so we have a backwards, right? So here in Belfast, your fanny is your front bum. And I think in America, your fanny, your fanny is like your, what we would call your butt or your ass. So, but here your fanny is the other one. It's your vagina. Okay. So I jumped to the front of the mat, not realizing that during the the time when I had raised one leg into the air and opened the hip and raised the other leg in the air and opened the hip, that I had had a massive intake of air because I had given birth to my third child about, you know, 12 weeks previously, maybe even only eight weeks previously. And let's just say that after three natural births within, you know, four years, it was a little spacious up there, okay? There was there was a little more room to take in a little more air. So, so I obviously, by opening my hip, had kind of, you know, disturbed the equilibrium of, of you know, let's just say what should have stayed closed had opened momentarily and there'd been a, like an intake of air, which I didn't even realize because it had never happened to me before. And I jumped to the top of the mat and it was like, like this massive, loud, fart noise, right? And my mom looked at me sideways with wide eyes and I was like, oh! you know, whenever you have this horrified moment, like the whole room was quiet and everyone was, you know, in the middle of their practice. And of course, and then a couple of people started to like, <clears throat> like started to snicker. Ronnie, bless his heart, had heard it all before. Farting is a very common occurrence in yoga. He had, you know, he just kept going and going. He didn't, you know, he, did, he didn't, he didn't even bat an eyelid. I was absolutely and utterly mortified, but I was mortified to the point where I was bent double with laughing. Like my mum was <laughs> was bent double, holding her stomach and stomping her foot and snorting. <laughs> like <laughs> whenever my mum, honestly, <laughs> it makes me laugh so much. Even thinking about it, like my mum is the kind of person. Like if you were to stub your toe or hurt yourself, like my auntie cracked her tooth right, fell and cracked her tooth recently on the step, and my mum went to her house and she was like, oh my God, the most terrible thing has happened. And mum said, what? And Barbara took her hand away from her mouth and showed mum her, like she'd cracked her front tooth. Well, mum, 
mum was in absolute stitches. She was bent double. She couldn't stop laughing. And that's the kind of person my mum is. So she was very, of course, inconspicuously not at the front of her mat, snorting, bent double, stamping her foot with laughter because she couldn't contain herself, which of course then made me laugh. And the two of us were in an absolute and utter, you know, her like a heap at the top of our yoga mats, unable to go on and do any more Surya Namaskara, right? And um, of course, but it was just the, the, with me jumping to the top of the mat, right? There was a, a forceful expulsion of air. Okay. <laughs> now, why? Why was there a forceful expulsion of air? Well, simply because I did not know how to turn on my transverse abdominis. In fact, I didn't even know what the transverse abdominis was at this point. Why did I not need to know? Why did I not know? Because I had no need to know before I give kids, before I gave kids, before I had kids, and before I gave birth, my snatch was tighter than a Roman wrestler's headlock. Like I had no need, no need to know about the transverse abdominis. There was no forceful expulsion of air because it was all tight down there, right? But let me tell you, see, giving birth to three kids in four years doesn't do wonders for you. I always should say my husband, I'd be like a 50-year-old hooker, sit in a bar still and slide right to the floor. <laughs> so anyway, um, I did tell you this, this is going to be a funny one, this uh, this episode. So so <laughs> something only becomes fixable, right? Whenever it's a problem. Until you know it's a problem, you don't know to fix it because people don't buy prevention, they buy Cure. This is what I learned very early on in my marketing journey. I remember I think I was listening to Marie Forleo, who's an amazing marketer, and uh, she was talking about how, you know, just people don't buy prevention, okay? They buy cure. Like, what does that mean? Well, you know, whenever we got our dog, Buddy, um, we, and I mean, I'm, listen, my mom used to breed and show dogs. We used to have like 40 or 50 dogs at any one time. So and I am, you know, massively into dog training, dog psychology. I've done a lot of dog training and, and a lot of, you know, reading of books and stuff. And so I'm, I know a lot about dogs, but whenever we got Buddy, I never thought to get warming tablets when I bought him and we hadn't taken him to the vet. He'd had his first set of injections. So, you know, he wasn't due to go for a second set. And so we couldn't figure out what was wrong with his digestion. And anyway, I took him to the doctor and the doctor was like, oh, I think he he has a massive amount of worms. He really needs worms. The doctor gave him a worming tablet and then sent me home with worming tablets to give to him periodically. I think it was one a month over the next six months or whatever. And of course, then whenever Buddy, like, uh, let me tell you, whenever then he went to the toilet, oh, holy shit, I've never seen as many worms in my entire life. It was totally disgusting. Anyway, I digress. Why? What has this got to do with prevention rather than cure? Or fanny farting during yoga? Well, Buddy, I would never have thought whenever we went to, to get a Boston Terrier puppy, I would never have thought to go to the vets and buy worming tablets, okay? Because I didn't think that we needed worming tablets and you don't go and buy worming tablets unless your dog has worms. People don't buy prevention, they buy cure. That's why you can never market general health to people. People don't buy health. If people feel that they're healthy, they won't buy more health unless they have a problem they think needs fixed. So I did not need to know about the transverse abdominis because like I said, my snatch was tighter than a Roman wrestler's headlock and it did not need to, I didn't need to know to turn these muscles on because they were naturally tight and turned on. But after giving birth, everything turned off and became a little more roomy down there. And up until that point, my yoga practice had been very quiet and peaceful, but it was not to be anymore. I had to say goodbye to a quiet yoga practice and embrace the fact that this was now the new norm for me. And I became obsessed with finding out 
about the transverse abdominis, okay? Simply because I'd always heard in yoga, all my yoga teachers were saying like, oh, turn on your, in yoga, it's called your Uddiyana Bandha, right? So turn on your Uddiyana Bandha. And they would have talked about, you know, the drawing up and Ronnie, my teacher talked about your locks, drawing up your locks. And I'd be like, enough of this shit. Just get on with that. Fuck's sake. I'm not here to bloody listen about my bloody locks. And honestly, and he used to talk about the distance in a man. When there's different yoga, yoga poses where you put your heel up into your perineum, okay? Um, so, and it's, uh, it's one of the different, it's one of the more advanced ones where you kind of, you bring your foot up underneath you, you put your heel up into your perineum. And Ronnie used to talk about the distance in a woman, the distance between, oh my God, what was it? The distance between Athens and Paris is greater than the distance between Athens and Venice. And I used to be like, oh fuck, no, I don't want to think about Ronnie's, <laughs> about Ronnie's Udiana Bunda or Ronnie's distance between Athens and Paris, to be honest. But it was actually quite a good analogy, you know, Athens and Paris and Athens and Venice. So, um, so, so anyway, I knew about locks. I knew about your transverse abdominis, I knew about your Udiana Bunda, but I kind of knew it all in theory, okay? I knew it all in theory. And I'd heard, you know, them talking about pulling these locks up and stuff, but I didn't really understand why it was necessary for yoga or even, not even necessary for yoga, but why it was now necessary for me, young mother of three children birthed naturally through the vaginal canal. The transverse abdominis became extremely interesting to me. So first of all, let, let's break down what is the transverse abdominis, okay? Or let's break down the, the abdominal muscles and, and then I'll tell you why they're important, not only for yoga, but for squatting and for everything else you do in your life. So um, let, let's talk about them, first of all, listed from the most superficial to the deepest, right? So th the muscles that normally everybody wants, okay? People write to me and they go, I just want a six pack, six pack. I just want to have a six pack. Everybody just wants to have a six pack, okay? Your six pack is called your rectus abdominis, okay? This is um, this muscle is it's also known as the six pack, but it's also the most superficial of the abdominal muscles, and it gives you that washboard look that you often see that fitness models have. Now, I do not have a good rectus abdominis a because I never work them, and b because um, it's not something that's important to me. I've, I've never craved a six pack, and also I've had four kids, so it's very important. It's not it's very hard for me to get a six pack. So the function of the rectus abdominis is basically just to flex and stabilize the spine. The rectus abdominis are the most superficial muscles. Everybody wants to have them but having a good set of rectus abdominis muscles does not mean that you have a strong core. In fact, people used to come to me for handstand training whenever I taught yoga and they used to say, oh yeah, I have a very strong core. And I used to go, yeah, people always tell me that and they really don't have a strong core because to me, when you have a strong core, you have very strong transverse abdominis, TVA. Having a good rectus abdominis does not equal a strong core, just FYI, because those are very superficial muscles. So the next muscles from... Um, from outward to inward, if you like, are the external obliques. So these muscles are located on both sides of the rectus abdominis. So I have really good external obliques from doing years and years of yoga, years and years of twisting. It's like that shark, shark teeth effect um, down, that runs eight down either side of your uh, your rectus abdominis. You're just underneath your ribs or just, you know, down below your ribs or actually even on your ribs as well. People always think they're my um, they're my ribs. Whenever people love to slag me off, you know, people who don't know me on Instagram, they'll go, look at her ribs, that's disgusting. And I'm like, those aren't my ribs, sweetheart. Th those are my rectus or those are my external leak muscles. So they're not ribs. That doesn't mean I'm skinny. They're, it means I'm muscly. So um, they play an important role just in literally in flexing the spine, rotating the torso and sideways bending. And that's it, okay? They're superficial muscles as well. They're on the outside. They're just really to move the body around, move the musculature, keep, you know, the bones in place and all that kind of stuff. They don't really have any deep function. But then, of course, once we get a little deeper, we go into the internal obliques. So these muscles lie just below the external obliques, and they act in a similar manner in terms of function, but they are slightly deeper. 
in terms of you need to know how to turn them on a little more whenever you're doing your your deeper yoga poses or your handstands or headstands or those kinds of things. So a lot of people don't know that inversions um, in yoga or gymnastics or in calisthenics or whatever, all of your inversions stem from your balance in your inversions. Well, it stems from internally rotating your arms, twisting your biceps forward, but it also stems from a lot of it comes from your core, from knowing how to turn on your TVA and your internal obliques. And then, of course, the last muscles left in, you know, in the center of the body or around the obliques, or not the obliques, sorry, around the stomach area, um, are the transverse abdominis, or is the transverse abdominis, should I say, So, because um, it's a collective noun. Uh, this muscle is the deepest of the abdominal group, okay? And it helps with breathing, but more importantly, it activates the core and stabilizes the pelvis and the lower back during most movements. So these muscles run like a belt, right? They run like a belt all the way around your spine above your your hips um they they basically keep your whole body from flopping and bending and they keep everything uh, completely stable you're supposed to activate them whenever you move whenever you squat whenever you lift heavy weights and you're supposed to know how to turn them on so that you can protect the other muscles in your body especially in your lower back and when this where this first really became apparent to me was whenever i started squatting in the gym so up until i started squatting i started in the gym and in, in 2016 I was only practicing yoga and I had um I had been doing a lot of squatting over the years but not squatting with weights squatting in in yoga and a yogic squat is very different to a gym squat. With a yogic squat you would squat right down into a seated position you would try to push your tailbone towards the floor you try to and you push your knees apart um and then quite often you will bring your you know your elbows to the insides of your knees and then you'll bring your hands into prayer position and try and push your knees wider so you're basically trying to lift your chest raise your chest up um sit with a very very straight spine and put all your weight in your heels a lot of people who don't have open hips can't sit like this they can't sit with their heels on the ground they have to raise their heels up on blocks and that's just because they don't have the openness in the hips so i had been doing a lot of squatting so whenever i first went into the gym and i started training with curtis who was my trainer at the time, I was really like, whenever he said, we're going to squat, I was like, oh yeah, baby, I'm so good at squatting. Like I really was like, this is going to be so easy for me. And so he said, let's just squat with the bar, which is only 20 kilos just to see, you know, how you do your squat. So I, of course, then, you know, I was so proud of how deep my squat was because I had, you know, been practicing for years. So I put this bar on my back and I squatted, you know, right down to the ground and then pushed back up and then squatted right down and pushed back up again. So like literally I went down. So my, my, I did my full yogic squat before pushing back up. So I, I stood with my feet a little bit wider than, you know, I probably would stand with them now. And I squatted my ass right to the grass and pushed back up. And Curtis was like, oh, that's really good. You know, you have a, a good deep squat. And I was like, well, thank you because I was like really into impressing Curtis you know I was like oh, I really want him to see how good I am you know you always want to impress your trainer in the beginning uh, no I don't, couldn't give a fuck about impressing Mark I just want to run away from him most of the time actually I'm not into impress him anymore I'm into try and get him to stop pushing me so hard so anyway um they so I I, I was squatting in the gym with Curtis and but what I realized was my my back would get really sore after squatting. And then I also noticed that the more weight I put on, I couldn't go quite so deep. So with 20 kilos, you know, then you put like five kilos on each side and then 10 kilos on each side. And we probably went up to about 40 kilos in that first um, in that first set. And I, as I tried to squat right down with my ass to the grass, the way I had with 20 kilos, my back was killing me. Like it was really sore in my back. And I and I had a sore back anyway. Ever since I had my kids, my, my lower back was always sore. It was sore during yoga. It it was sore, especially after backbending. My back does not like backbending. But of course, 
me being me, I decided that the only way to stop my back being sore during backbending was to backbend more. Of course, most people would go, shouldn't backbend because it obviously caused me pain. Nope. Kim goes, shouldn't uh, backbend causes pain? Let's do it more. Let's do it more often. Let's, it was almost like I, I believed I could break my back into, <laughs> into not being painful. I was like, if I just go to deeper backbends, no, that is not the way to do life. Okay. See now in yoga, I don't backbend. I do like, I do, you know, like cobra poses and I do, you know, even upward facing dog and that kind of stuff. I even did Urdhva Dhanurasana, which is a wheel pose in one of my practices the other day. But see all the big, deep backbends? I just do not do them anymore, okay? Because they just hurt my back. So I did have a sore back and as soon as squatting started to hurt my back, I was like, oh! oh no, oh no. And I said to Curtis, oh my God, oh my God, this is really sore. And I went home that night and my back was agony. And the next day my back was agony and I went in to train again. You know, I trained with them four times a week. And whenever we went to train legs again and and it was squatting, I was like, no, I don't want to do free bar squatting. And like they didn't, the gym I was training in didn't have a lot of machines. They had leg press, but it wasn't like kitted out like Mark, my trainer's gym is now, where I never do free bar work ever ever okay everything I do is machine so it wasn't kitted out that way and I and every week I went I dreaded squatting because my back was in agony and I kept saying to Curtis I think there's something wrong I don't think I should be squatting and I was really disheartened because I wanted to squat I wanted to you know build muscles I want and I believe that you know and, and actually well the reason why I started in the gym was because I wanted to build up my glutes that's that's the only reason why I actually went to the gym in the first place and then of course once I was there I realized I was born to do this this was what I was meant to be doing with my life and of course, I loved it. But the reason why I went is because I wanted to to build up my glutes. And so um, I wanted to squat because I wanted to build up my glutes, but I really just was not prepared for how painful it was. And so I thought to myself, you know what? There must be something that I can do. There must be a reason why this is happening, right? So, and, and there was, there was, I, so anyway, I went deep into research into what causes back pain, back pain when squatting, all this kind of stuff, because I was determined to overcome the problem. And I, I found out two things, okay? So here's what I found out. The first thing I found out was that I wasn't turning on my transverse abdominus while squatting. Now, I was a highly experienced yoga teacher. I knew exactly what the transverse abdominus was after my fanny farting incident during my yoga practice. I had learned how to make sure that never ever happened again. And by the way, just for those of you who practice yoga and have had kids, a really good way to not to have that not happen is wear a tampon during yoga. Yes, indeed. If there's something plugging it, you don't have that, you know, because sometimes we forget to turn on our transverse abdominus during yoga. And, you know, it's very hard to keep your vagina clenched the entire time you're practicing. Like, it really is hard. It requires some serious muscle control. So I just find for those times when I forget or when I'm feeling a bit tired or whatever, and I can't keep it turned on the entire time, a super plus tampon just takes all the pressure. So it takes off all the pressure. So anyway, I digress slightly. But I did learn that um, one of the reasons or one of the things you need to do when you squat is to keep your transverse abdominus muscles turned on the entire time. And I was like, oh, those transverse abdominus muscles are, are for much more than just yoga. Hello, ding, ding, ding. So I was like, wow, well, I can really bring in my yoga teacher training or my yoga training into all of this and I can use my knowledge of the transverse abdominus to turn it on when squatting to stop my lower back pain. So that's the first thing I did, which massively, massively helped. And um, the second thing that I did or that I realized was that my glutes weren't firing the way they should have been during a squat. So how this happened was I was reading um, Brett Contreras and I have become great friends, actually. Uh, I interviewed Brett Contreras on my podcast the other week. He is known as the glute guy. He is literally an ass man, <laughs> which has 
terrible connotations that we won't talk about. But anyway, um, so Brett and I have become really good friends. And I, but I bought his book whenever, of course, I was buying everything to do with booty building. And it was called Strong Curves, one of his books, Strong Curves. And um, it was uh, literally an ass Bible. Okay. And I remember reading one paragraph in it, which basically said, the glutes are the strongest muscle in the body and they are supposed to fire all the time. And if they don't, if they're not firing correctly, then the lower back will pick up the work of the glutes. And I was like, what? Like, oh my God, this is exactly what's happening to me. So I realized that after years and years of practicing yoga, I had a really good glute medius, which is the upper portion, almost like behind your hip, if you like. So your glute, your glutes are split into your glute maximus, your glute medius, and your glute minimus. Now, the minimus is the very deep muscle, which kind of attaches your max, your medius to your hip bone, right? And then the maximus is the big, lovely, full bit. Well, it's supposed to be big, lovely, full, round bit at the back. So whenever you're twisting in yoga, like whenever you're doing your twisting poses, twisting lunges, um, Pavita Trikonasana, which is your twisting triangle pose, your, your glute medius medius is turned on. You use your glute medius a lot in yoga. So I had a very strong, very well-developed glute medius, okay? I did not have a very strong or very well-developed glute maximus because there, nowhere in yoga training do you do any kind of thrusting, glute bridging, squatting. I mean, you do squat, but whenever you squat, you go down into a yogic squat. You don't go down into a strength squat. The squat is meant to stretch the hip muscles, not to strengthen the glutes. And so my glute maximus real, my, had really had no fullness. It wasn't firing correctly. Um, and that's why that it was like a saggy. My, my, my bum was almost like a point, right? It went out at the top where my glute medius was and then it just went straight in in a diagonal line to where it joined the top of my hamstring. There was no fullness in that part. So what I realized after reading Brett's book was the reason why I was having a sore back during squatting wasn't because it was damaging me or hurting me, but because my glutes weren't firing the way they were supposed to. So my lower back was picking up the work. And that was completely transformational for me. I was like, shit, no way. Like this, this is amazing for me to know. So I, I set about, um, I set about really learning on how to, really learning how to turn on the glutes. I did a lot of the exercises Brett suggested in the book, you know, a lot of, you know, even just squeezing my glutes when I was walking, squeezing them when I was sitting, doing different glute bridges and, and, um, clams and all different stuff just to, just to wake my glutes up, right? Because your glutes will turn off during, because of inactivity. It's a it's a known phenomenon. Your glutes are actually designed to protect your body. So if you uh, stub your toe, the Brett talked about this in the book as well. If you stub your toe, for example, your glutes are will turn off to protect your toe because your glutes are a really powerful muscle. And if you if your toe is really really painful and you're trying to hobble along, your glutes will turn off so they're not powering you forward more, so that you're putting more pressure on your toe. So once I learned how to um, how to activate my transverse abdominis, which I'm going to teach you how to do in a second, by the way, uh, prepare for more giggles. Um, so once I learned how to turn on my transverse abdominis and how to activate and fire up my glutes everything changed. The pain completely disappeared. It completely disappeared during my squats and it completely disappeared the day after and the day after. And I can honestly say that now, this is 2020, May 2020, four years after I started training, I started training in April 2016, I am completely 100% pain-free. I lived with niggly, nagging lower back pain for years 
years. And I mean years and years and years. It was constant. And I can tell you now, after getting a new, uh, we got a new mattress on the bed as well. We got a new um, uh, memory foam mattress, really expensive mattress. And it's absolutely and utterly incredible. It just molds to my body. So when I sleep on my back, my whole body is supported. That's another reason why people's back gets sore, by the way, because we have a natural curve in our spine. So when we lie on our back, our spine is naturally curved. And if we lie in that position for too long, it makes the pelvis ache. It makes the lumbar spine area ache. So if you lie on your back, you should always put a pillow under your knees to flatten your spine on the ground because that takes the pressure off the lower back. So um, so basically turning on, to just to go back, turning on my transverse abdominis when squatting and also learning how to fire up my glutes and making them work correctly completely and utterly changed my whole squat. It made me stronger. I mean, now I would squat 180 kilos in the gym. Now, not with a free bar, I would squat it on a V squat, which is where it's a fixed machine with two pads that go in your shoulders and your toes are turned slightly up and your heels down. So you can go really, really, really deep to fire up the glutes. And I would squat 180 kilos for 10 reps, which is which is pretty strong. So just to let you know, like that is where I've got to in four years. So how do you turn on your transverse abdominis, right? You're probably now going, okay, this is great. I'm totally in. I'm, you've sold me, Kim. I've got a sore back and I really want to squat more. So I want to learn about this transverse abdominis muscle and how to turn it on. So I'm going to teach you exactly how to do it, okay? So years ago, whenever I um, was a Pilates instructor, I remember doing my Pilates teacher training and I would go to, um, and they would talk about your transverse abdominis and how to turn it on. And oh, well, they taught us this method of, um, you know, and they would say, you know, so stand with your feet, you know, hip distance apart and, you know, tuck your pelvis ever so slightly under. And then I want you to imagine that you are, um, that you are going up in an elevator. Okay. So they would say, imagine that, you know, starting and they would, they would try and skirt around it. Right now I'm just like your vagina, right? Bring your awareness to your vagina. When you say that women go, okay, I know exactly where that is. Right. Whenever you skirt around it and you go, you know, and we're, we're so worried about saying things like penis and vagina and like these are parts of your body. Your penis is like your head. Okay. Well, like it's not, but it, it's still a body part just like your vagina is. So I never was like, oh, bring your awareness to your perineum. And then people are like, perineum, what's, what's that? Where, where the fuck's my perineum? I have no idea. <laughs> you know? So um, anyway, they were like, bring your awareness to your perineum. And then imagine that you are going up in an elevator. And I'm like, now I'm going up in an elevator in my vagina. Okay, I'm just going to stick with it. But imagine like there's an elevator going up and it's going, and here's to the first floor. And they talk about an elevator. And another one was a zip, right? Imagine you're putting on a pair of jeans and you're zipping one inch is the first floor and two inches the second floor. And you're standing there for ages like, yeah, okay, yeah. Like drawing it up and drawing it up and drawing it up a little further. But it was also fecking complicated, okay? It's also fecking complicated because here's the thing about learning, right? Learning is either inductive or deductive, right? The kind of learning that I love to do with my kids or people who come into my company or whatever, or, you know, even just my students in um, in my programs, I like to do a process of inductive learning. So what's the difference, right? Deductive learning is the kind of learning that they teach you in school. It's where you sit in a classroom and the teacher is at the blackboard and they teach you about a subject and you listen to what the teacher says and then you write it down. So you're learning inductively. The teacher's saying, here is the information and you're supposed to take in the information, retain it, 
write it down and learn it through memory, okay? Memory, uh, deductive learning is very memory-based. School is very memory-based. That's why um, a lot of people in school, they don't they think that they're stupid and they go, oh, I'm so stupid or whatever. I never did good in school. Well, I have tried to explain to people, the ones who do good in school are the ones who have really good memories and the ones who don't do so good in school are the ones who learn differently. People who are very uh, visual do really well in school because they have great memories and people who are very auditory don't do as well in school. So, Inductive learning is where someone gives you information and you take it on good faith. Deductive learning is where you touch it, feel it, smell it, or experience it in your body. So if you can experience something in your body, you have a like a visceral feeling about this thing, then you will be much, much more likely to remember it. So um, and what's that quote about how people will not remember what you said, but they'll always remember how you made them feel, something like that. And it's true. Like if you have a visceral uh, experience about someone, like if I said to you, here, did you know that Johnny's really good in bed? You'd be like, oh, Johnny's really good in bed. Is he? That's great. And you may imagine Johnny in bed. You may even imagine Johnny's penis. You may, whatever. So you're thinking about that, whatever. But then one night, so imagine we work with Johnny, okay? And so then one night you dream that you're having sex with Johnny. How many times have you done that, right? You wake up and you've dreamt you've had sex with someone. Then you go into work and you're like, oh, like you look at them in a completely different way, don't you? You're suddenly like, oh, you know, and then you remember the dream because you were feeling and experiencing the feelings in your dream, right? And so suddenly now you're looking at Johnny in a completely different way. And then Johnny continues to be a dick in work. And you're like, yeah, you weren't like that in my dream. <laughs> Slide on. So that is, that is even though it was a dream, that is actually induction, okay? That is induction. That's rather than me saying Johnny's really good in bed. In your dream, you experienced Johnny being in bed. Maybe you actually were in bed with Johnny at some point, right? So that's, you know, that's in, you got an inductive experience of how good Johnny was in bed. Someone told you he was good in bed, deductive. You actually went to bed with Johnny, inductive, okay? You get the feeling? Okay, so here's where I'm going with this. You're like, where the fuck is she going with this? <laughs> I swear, I always bring it back, don't I? I'm having so much fun with this. This is so, so honestly, so much fun. So, so here's how you turn on your transverse abdominis, okay? This is, whenever I teach people, how, I'm going to physically teach you how to do it. So wherever you are, whether you're walking with your dog, maybe you're sitting, maybe you're lying or whatever, I want you to try this method, okay? So I teach whenever I teach people this method, they absolutely love it because it makes so much sense for them and they never forget it, right? You net once I've taught this to you, you will never forget how to turn on your transverse abdominis. So there's two ways that you can do it. Well, not two ways. There's one for a way for female and a way for men, okay? So if you're a man listening to this podcast, hopefully not because I do talk about a lot of female stuff. You've probably turned it off by now if you are a man. But um, if you're a very open-minded man and you're still with me, here's how you turn on your transverse abdominis, okay? I want you to imagine that you are full flow peeing, right? You're full stream peeing, and I tell you to stop midstream, okay? So you're peeing, 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 and then I go three, two, one, stop, right? So whenever you stop mid-pee, that is how you turn on your transverse abdominis, right? And you can try that on now. You can be like, oh, even if you're a woman, you can try that on what it's like to stop midstream, right? So that's how a man turns on his transverse abdominis. So if you're a man and you're working on your squat, you're even working on your handstands, your inversions or whatever, you need to turn on your transverse abdominis. Imagine you're stopping peeing before you um, before you do, before you, or before you squat or before you handstand or whatever you're doing. Now for a woman, it's slightly different, okay? So for a woman, how you turn on your transverse abdominis is I want you to imagine that you are sucking a smoothie, through a straw using your vagina. Not even kidding. 
And whenever I teach this in my yoga classes, women like literally, you can see their faces. Like they go, oh, and they take on, like, I have this little like frown, you know, that little like look up to the side, you know, one eye slightly squinted. They're like, oh, and you can see them like imagining what it would be like to suck a smoothie through a straw using your vagina. But truly, it is, isn't it fucking epic? Like, try it now. Try it now for me. No matter where you are, I want you to bring your awareness to your vagina. And then I want you to imagine that you are sucking a smoothie through a straw, a very thick smoothie, okay? This smoothie was made with loads of banana, maybe some avocado, a couple of chia seeds in there just to, you know, thicken things up a little. And now you have to suck that entire smoothie through the straw using your vagina. Now your transverse abdominus is turned on. Isn't it absolutely epic? Okay, but that's just the first part of turning on your transverse. So men, you're peeing and stopping. Women, you're sucking your smoothie. Once you've sucked your smoothie, as hard as you can suck it, you draw your navel towards your spine. That's the second part of turning on your transverse. And it's the part that many people forget when they're teaching you. So whenever I was being taught in uh, Pilates, they only taught us about, you know, zipping up your jeans or the elevator or whatever. They didn't actually teach you about drawing your navel towards your spine. But that is the really important second part of, um, of turning on your transverse abdominus. So you're sucking your smoothie through your straw when you've sucked as hard as you can. Now draw your navel in towards your spine. So you're pulling your belly button backward towards your spine. Now your transverse abdominus is completely and utterly turned on. Now, where I learned that from is actually an amazing yoga teacher in a handstand workshop that I went to once. It's not it's not even mine. Um, I can't even remember his name. Patrick, someone, I think. Um, and it was, a, it was years ago in a yoga workshop and he was teaching us inversions, teaching us handstands. And he, and, and he said, you know, that the main thing, a lot of handstand instructors, what they will do is they will teach you to work on your core. So you will do all kinds of sit-ups and, and a core work and, and different, you know, and L-sits and stuff like this in order to learn how to hold your handstand. Because when you're in a handstand, your, your body should be like a boomerang position, a very slight boomerang position. And your navel should be, your transverse abdominus should be pulled up and your navel drawn towards your spine. And that is what gives you your balance in handstand. So no banana backing in handstand. You have to turn that on in handstand. But also it is what it is what protects your lower back during squatting and especially during hip thrusting. Okay. So what I what I what I, I started doing once I learned this, or I mean I learned it in yoga years ago, but once I realized that I needed to turn on my transverse and strengthen my glutes, I started applying this to all of my gym work. And it was an absolute game changer for me. So now so here's what I do whenever I squat. I'm going to give you exact, um, whenever I squat and whenever I hip thrust, I'm going to give you my exact techniques so you can practice them in the gym if you're doing these exercises. So uh, whenever I'm squatting, I I put the bar, so let's say I'm doing a free bar squat, but any kind of squat though, it doesn't matter. I put the bar onto my back, okay? And so let's say it's a free bar. And then I try to, I roll it down so it's sitting on my lower traps just above my shoulder blades. It's called a low bar squat. And then I try to bend the bar around my back, okay? That then locks in the top of your body. So you want, whenever you squat, a lot of people dip forward at the bottom, okay? They don't lock in their upper body. They balance the bar on the back of their neck and they tend to then, with the weight of the bar whenever they squat down, they tend to dip forward at the front. That puts a huge amount of pressure on the back. So you want to, the whole time, be forcing your chest up and forward and trying to bend the bar around your back. Then before, this is as you're getting set up, before you ever lower down, okay? Then what you want to do is suck your smoothie through your straw using your vagina, draw your navel towards your spine and turn on your glutes. I want you to do that now while you're listening to this. I want you to suck up, okay? And then I want you to draw your navel towards your spine and then I want you to squeeze your glute muscles. Actually squeeze them, okay? Now you're ready to squat. When you have your chest forced up, bending the bar around your back, drawn up through your um, transverse abdominus and your 
your glutes are turned on and then you squat down and you don't let go of any of those on the squats. Even if you squat down in your um, in your squat, you have to keep your transverse abdominis turned on the whole time. And then you won't like drop like a stone and bounce, which is where many people hurt their knees or they hurt themselves during a squat. When you keep that squat, when you keep all of that turned on the whole way down and you lower with control and then push all the way back up again, keeping everything squeezed on the way back up, your lower back is completely protected because your glutes are now firing and doing the work and your transverse abdominis, your TVA, is like it's like wearing a belt around your core. So it's protecting your spine, protecting your back, protecting your lumbar spine, all of that. And your glutes are doing the work that they are supposed to do. Because here's the thing about squatting, right, that many people don't know. If you only squat to parallel, your glutes don't turn on. Your glutes only turn on when they are in the full stretch position. It's called mechanical stress. So there's two ways that the muscle grows. The muscle grows through mechanical stress or metabolic stress. Mechanical stress is where the muscle is either stretched or contracted to its full extent. And, and whenever you have both of those coming into play, that's when the muscle grows the most. So you, you cause loads of micro tears. So if you squat all the way down with your ass to the grass or as low as you possibly can, certainly as far as far below parallel as you can go, but you don't want to butt wink at the bottom, okay? So butt winking is what is where people squat all the way down and their butt winks under, like it curves under. You should be pushing back in a squat, like almost pretending that you're trying to sit back on a low bench behind you. So you're, you never let your butt wink forward when you squat. You always push back when you squat. So if you, if you imagine you're trying to activate your glutes by squeezing them and then you're pushing your butt back so far that they that it the glute muscles get stretched like crazy that's what causes the micro tears and then you have to squeeze your glutes to power you back up whenever you take all of the focus of your squat out of your back out of your chest out of your core everywhere and you focus on your glutes, it changes everything because you, you, you've got your TVA turned on, you've got your chest forced forward. And as you as you go down with control, keeping your attention and your awareness on your glutes the whole time, your, your glutes stay turned on. And then as you go below parallel, your glutes fire to power you back up. If you only go to where your legs are parallel in a squat, then your, your glutes never turn on and your quads pick up all of the work. And also what happens is if you go down to parallel and then pause and push back up, because you haven't gone through the full range of motion, you've missed out on all of that kinetic chain energy. So as you, if you go all the way down to your full extension, what happens is if you go to where you can go no further, then your feet kick in. So it goes your, your feet, then your ankles, then your shins, then your knees, then your quads, then your you know hamstrings and your glutes and your back. So everything, it kicks in like a chain, boom, 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 all the way back up to power you all the way back up. If you only go to, um, to parallel, which many people do because they're scared to go any deeper, so they kind of stop and jar at parallel, your glutes are never turned on. And if your glutes are never turned on, it pushes all of the work into your quads and into your lower back. That's why squatting only works if you go below parallel to build the glutes. People who say, oh, how do you build the glutes? Oh, you have to squat. No, you have to squat deep. Okay. Squatting to parallel does not build the glutes because they're not activated nor turned on. They haven't, you haven't exerted any mechanical stress on them. Mechanical stress is where the muscle is stretched to its full capacity, causing micro tears or contracted to its full capacity, causing micro tears. Squatting to parallel does not do either of those things. Now, metabolic stress is where, um, is whenever, whenever you're doing high volume exercises and you get like a pump. So people who are doing like, um, cable glute kickbacks or frog pumps or, um, hyper extensions or reverse hypers or those kinds of things, you know, so 
So you will feel a burn in your glutes, but metabolic stress doesn't cause as much damage as mechanical stress. So people will say, but I felt such a burn in my glutes. Why are they not growing? Well, because oh, the burn was just lactic acid. So it's just lactic acid filling the muscle. You get a fluid and a blood pump to the muscle. Yes, some, you know, some of the muscles are damaged. It, there, are, there is damage to the muscle and damage is where the muscle grows. So there is damage to the muscle, but not as much as mechanical stress. So in order to build the muscle really fully, you need to have both mechanical and metabolic stress. That's why whenever I train legs, I do, um, you know, a, a warm-up exercise. Then I do two massive compound exercises, two big squats, ass to the grass. And then I do, to finish your exercises just to burn out the muscle. Um, so your training needs to have both, okay? So whenever, um, and then the other way that you can apply the uh, transverse abdominis, this one's a really, really important one, okay? If you do hip thrusts in the gym, so hip thrusts are where you have a barbell over your hips and then your your back is leaning against a bench, right? Even if you do this um, from the ground, which are actually called glute bridges, I always call glute bridges the ones that you do with a barbell on a like a Smith machine or whatever with your back on a bench, but apparently the more correct term, according to my good friend, Brett Contreras, Contreras, um, is your glute bridge would be on the ground where you have your back on the ground and your and you would be doing a hip thrust if you had your back on the bench. So, uh, sorry, that, yeah, so glute bridge is on the ground, a hip thrust is back on the bench. So if you are doing a hip thrust, I see a lot of people doing hip thrusts and they go, oh, I can't do them because they hurt my back. And the first thing I say is you don't have your TBA turned on, okay? I'm going to teach you a very specific method here of how to turn on your TBA whenever you are doing a hip thrust, right? So do you remember what we talked about sucking a smoothie through a straw using your vagina? So um, you have to turn that on before you thrust up. Now, one of the best ways to protect your lower back Listen up here, okay? If you have a sore back, listen to me. One of the best ways that you can protect your lower back is a forceful exhale through the mouth. When you exhale forcefully through the mouth in like a hiss through your teeth, you automatically draw your belly towards your spine and you automatically suck everything in and turn on your TVA. It's your body's natural reaction. So it sounds like this. Listen. Now, you're probably like, holy shit, that was really loud, okay? So it's almost like I'm saying shush really loudly, like shh, okay? That is how you turn on your transverse abdominus. So here's what you do in a hip thrust. You put the bar on your, say, let's say you're on a Smith machine, right? You put the bar on your hips, you put your back on the bench, you draw your chin, um, you don't want to draw your chin to your chest, but you want to make sure that your your neck is in a in a straight line, okay? So your back your your neck isn't flopping back. The only thing that moves in a hip thrust are your hips. Your upper body upper body never moves. I see people doing hip thrusts, right? And I see them like rocking their whole upper body, rocking their whole upper body. My my back never moves on the bench. My head never moves. They stay completely still. The only thing that moves are my hips. So what I do, because I, I would bench, I would hip thrust about 300 kilos, right? Which is 660 pounds. Now, the only way to get 300 kilos off the ground is to make sure, off the ground safely, is to make sure that your transverse abdominus is completely turned on. And here is how you do it, okay? You can go back and listen to this Um if you want to, if you want to try this again in the gym, you want to just look at the time. If you look at your device, just check the time of when I was speaking about this, and come back and listen to this point again or this this part in the gym. So here's what you do. So you you take a couple of deep breaths before you thrust. So you're sitting there. You've you've pulled in your your feet. They're flat on the floor. Your knees are bent. You've got your your back resting on the bench. You're about. To, you're going to try and thrust this bar up. Okay. So here is what I do. I take a couple of big deep breaths, and then on the last breath. I, as I inhale, I draw my transverse abdominus up. So I suck my smoothie through my straw. And then as I exhale, I 
thrust up and draw my belly button to my spine. So it sounds like this, okay? So I go, that's one. That's two. Now on the third one, at the same time as I inhale, I draw up on my smoothie straw. So I go, and that, so I'm sucking the, the smoothie through the straw and then I go, and as I, as I, as I, exhale forcefully through my mouth, I thrust up and draw my navel to my spine. So it's an inhale, draw the transverse abdominus up, draw the smoothie up through the straw, and then exhale, thrust up and draw your navel towards your spine at the same time. Then your lower back will be completely protected. It's the only way you can safely thrust a lot of um, a lot of load up into the air and not hurt your lower back. But you have to turn everything on before you lift heavy, thrust heavy, move heavy, or do any of this heavy work. It's like putting on a lifting belt. You know how you see people putting on lifting belts um, in the gym? They put on a lifting belt so that they can protect their lower back and protect their spine. But you don't even need a lifting belt when you know how to turn on your transverse abdominus. I wear one whenever I squat heavy because it just makes me feel more secure. But um, if you know how to turn on your TBI properly and you can really put that belt on, suck your smoothie through your straw, draw your navel to your spine, you really will notice a massive, massive difference. Okay, so let's wrap this up and conclude it. So most back pain and squatting or in compound exercises comes from three main things, right? What are those three main things? Not turning on the transverse abdominus, not even knowing what it is or knowing how to do it, not activating the glutes correctly, uh, which can be done by not bringing awareness to the glutes before you squat, but also by not going deep enough in your squat. And if you can't go deep enough in your squat, by the way, put two plates under your heels. Most people can't go deep in their squats because they, they don't have the hip flexibility. If you lift your heels up on two plates, that helps to take the pressure off and you will be able to go deeper. Also, squat on the Smith machine rather than a free bar because it means that you're not dipping forward. Um, you know, the, the free bar tends to make you dip forward, especially if you're not used to keeping everything turned on. But if you ever squat with a free bar, before you even lower, you turn everything on. You never squat before everything is turned on. Your chest is turned on. Your back is turned on. Your quads are turned on. Your glutes are turned on. Your transverse abdominus is pulled up. Give that squat some strength before you even lower. And, and you will notice an enormous, enormous difference. And then difference, sorry. And then the third reason is simply the glutes not being strong enough. I have built over the last four years the most enormous set of glutes. Like Mark, my trainer, said says to me, he was telling the story the other day. It was hilarious. The first time I ever went to train glutes with him and we were doing glute bridges. And he, and he put one plate on each side, right? One 20 kilo plate. And I was like, this is like, I was like, what should I say something here? That like my warm up weight, okay, for, for glute bridges would be uh, 100 to 140 kilos, right? That's my warm up weight. What's 140 kilos? Let me pull out my calculator here, multiply by 2.2. That's 308 pounds, right? My warm up weight in a, in a hip thrust is 308. 108 pounds. So, um, and he, and like, he just kept like adding more plates and adding more plates. He was like, holy shit. He said, he tells the story. He's like, he said, I just looked at you and he said, there's no man or woman that I have ever witnessed in my life who was hip thrusting as much as you. And even to this day, there's no one in the gym can hip thrust the weight that I can hip thrust. So, and like, you know, my, my personal best is, um, well, six good reps with four spotted reps. He helps me pull up the last four with 300 kilos on the bar, okay? And the reason why I can do that is because I spent so many years 
building my glutes. I've always been glute focused. You will never build your glutes through doing one glute day, right? Or one squat day. In my 18-month sculpted, sculpted vegan program, you know, it's, it's an all-over, sculpt and shred, sorry, it's called. It's an all-over body training. And we train glutes um, and hamstrings and quads twice a week, okay? But if you, but in the beginning, the reason why we do that and we don't focus on glutes is because not everybody who comes into my 18-month program wants to um, focus on their glutes. It's it's a body. It's a it's a program called Sculpt the Body of a Physique Athlete. Okay, you can stand on stage after doing this this program. It's full body split body training, but um, it doesn't. It only has two glute days in it. But that's because not everyone who comes in wants to build big glutes. But we've just added, or we're adding actually eleventh launching on the eleventh of June two thousand twenty. We're now adding a glute um, specific program. We're not adding it to the Sculpt and Shred. It's a separate program. But I have decided to release, um, it's called the Eight Week Butt Camp, right? And it's a program that is basically based on the work that I did in the very beginning, but with, with a lot more because it's very, very focused. And my journey has been over four years. This is an eight-week program. So I wanted to really give someone incredible results after only eight weeks. So, um, But everything I've learned about firing up the glutes, turning on the glutes, working the glutes, the maximus, the medius, the minimus, the, the, the pelvic floor, all of that is is included in this program and it's absolutely not already epic but because the thing about the thing about squatting or the thing about building your glutes or the thing about you know glute bridging is the more you do it the stronger you become the reason why i was able to or i'm able to be the strongest person mark has ever trained in the gym doing glute bridges is because i every single part of the size of my glutes is muscle there's no fat there well there's a little bit of fat there but not much because i don't carry a lot of fat in my glutes but I, I, my glutes have now, if you were to measure my butt cheeks, right, back when I started, there's a lot of photos on Instagram, my before and after photos. If you were to measure my butt cheeks and measure my butt cheeks now, I will have put inches, pounds of muscle. I'm sure I've put one pound of muscle, which, you know, well, maybe two pounds of muscle in each butt cheek, maybe more, right? Because I've put on, when I first started training, I weighed only 57 kilos. I now weigh 68 kilos, right? So I am 11, 11 kilos heavier than I was when I started, which is 24 pounds. I put on 24 pounds of muscle since I started training four years ago. I am sure four pounds or maybe six pounds of that muscle is directly in my butt, right? How did I do that? through focusing on it, through focusing on it and wanting to change it. And the reason why now I have zero back pain is because I have enormous glute muscles. My glute muscles are doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're picking up the work. They're picking up the slack. They're firing everything I do, my walking, my running, my training, my squatting, my, you know, jumping. Like your glutes are, your glutes are there and are supposed to be in, in come into play in everything you do. If you're a runner, you need to strengthen your glutes. If you're a sprinter, you need to strengthen your glutes. If you're a swimmer, you need to strengthen your glutes. If you're a bodybuilder, you need to strengthen your glutes. We just neglect the glutes so much and they really are such an important muscle, not only to make the body look better. If you're a female, everybody wants to have a nice ass. But for more importantly, which is more of what I'm about than anything, for strength strength and functionality, you know, for to keep your body healthy, to keep your body pain-free. I would rather be pain-free than look amazing. If you can be pain-free and look amazing, then, you know, you've hit the jackpot, baby. That's what we teach in our programs. But I would rather be pain-free than, than than look amazing, you know. I, like, I, I would rather be, you know, like strong and whatever than be a big hot mess. So, um, but if, if you want to, you know, if truly, if you want to do it safely, if you want to squat more, you need to squat more. But you need to squat more safely. If you want to glute bridge more, you need to glute 
glute bridge more. If you want to build up the muscles in your ass, you need to focus on building up the muscles in your ass. Not over the long term. Like I certainly don't do a massive amount of glute training now. I do like two leg days a week. One of them is glute focused. But that's only because I'm really happy with my butt now. I really do not need to build it up anymore. I just need to maintain what I have. But if you need to build up the strength in the beginning, like I did, you need to focus on your glutes. You need to focus on them hard, train them, you know, three, four, five, even six days a week, depending on how fast you want them to grow. And that is truly what will completely transform your, your body is, but you can't do any of this training unless you learn how to turn on your TVA, unless you learn how to suck up through that smoothie straw, draw your navel to your spine, perform the exercises safely. And not only can you do this in the gym, you can do it in yoga, you can do it when you're swimming, when you're running, anything. I want you to practice doing this, okay? As much as you, you possibly can. And you will notice an enormous difference in how you move, in how you train, and in how you live your life. So I hope that you enjoyed that episode. That was so much fun for me to record because I love talking about fanny farting and vaginas and penises and all the things that you're not supposed to talk about. Because you know what? I just think that, you know, we're, we're all human at the end of the day and the absurdity of being human is just absolutely wonderful. And if we could all learn to not take ourselves quite as seriously as we do, I think the world would be a much better place. So thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Do not forget to leave a review on the podcast if you want to win a program, any program, even the eight-week butt camp, which is launching the 11th of June. If you're not on our mailing list, make sure you go to our website and download one of our free programs. And that means that you will be on the mailing list. But if you have Yahoo or Gmail or or Hotmail or Outlook, they love to put all of our emails into spam. So if you sign up, you don't get it. Check in your spam or your junk because you might find it there. Um, make sure that you are on the mailing list. If you want to hear about the eight-week butt camp, it's only going to be $97, even though it's an eight-week program. It comes with meal plans. It comes with um, macro counts. So if you don't want to use our meal plans, you don't have to. You can. We teach you how to count your own. It has a full recipe section, has all of the training, training videos, um, explanations on um, everything you need to do. It's like, I think I, I just finished writing the PDF. I think it's like 120 pages long. Like it's a very comprehensive training and it's an absolute steal at $97. Um, and minimal equipment can be done at home or in the gym. And we also have a $10,000 competition as well. So uh, whoever makes the biggest transformation, both in their glutes and their body, so it's a shred as well as a sculpt to sculpt and shred your glutes. Um, whoever makes the biggest transformation could win. I think we've got $10,000 for first prize, $5,000 for second, $1,000 for third, five. 500 for fourth and $250 for fifth. So five massive prizes, 16,000, I think it is dollars, 16,750 or something dollars um, of prize money which is absolutely epic. I love giving away big prizes. And we just gave away like $13,000 it was to the winners of the Jailhouse Shred program. So if you want to see the kind of transformation you can make, go to my Instagram at The Sculpted Vegan. Um, you can see past winners from the four-week shred, re most recently from the Jailhouse Shred. And you can see the kind of transformation that people make in, in my programs. And this one was only four weeks long. So imagine the transformation you could make in eight weeks. Um, also check out my Instagram if you want to be kept up to, to date with details of when we're releasing. The challenge starts 22nd of June. Uh, so we're releasing on the 18th of June or sorry 11th of June the challenge starts the 22nd of June you won't need anything more than you know some weights if you have them home you don't have any weights you can use like a five liter drum filled with water you can use you do need some bands though right some glute loops or booty bands or whatever to perform the exercises so you will need to get some minimal equipment but if you are training from home and you're you're you know you don't want to go to the gym or you can't go to the gym it's no problem at all this training can be done from home um, the competition starts 22nd of June runs for a full eight weeks 
comes to the Facebook group and all that jazz that you would expect from me and all these epic programs that I keep writing for you. Blowing myself, blowing my own trumpet there a wee bit, but they are epic programs, aren't they? Anyway, um, I digress. Guys, loved chatting to you this week. Loved teaching this information. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Don't forget to leave a review on the podcast. Send me a screenshot and as a DM, you could win a program. And I will see you all next week for another episode of Strong and Sculpted. That's my late night FM DJ voice. You like it? Another episode of Strong and Sculpted. And I will see you all next week from Kim. This is me over and out. Goodbye.